the Radical Brilliance Podcast with Arjuna Arda and brilliant guests from around the world who are contributing to the evolution of humanity. Today's guest is Eric Edmeets, who's going to talk to us about business freedom. So here's your host, Arjuna Arda. Hey, welcome back to the Radical Brilliance podcast. You've already heard Eric Edmeads as my guest uh, in a previous episode because he founded WildFit. And Eric has done a lot of amazing things in his life. Not only did he found this uh, this company WildFit that really introduces people to the natural diet. But before that, he owned Kerner Studios, which was the um, what evolved out of Industrial Light and Magic, George Lucas's company. Before that, he he's had many different businesses. So as well as being the founder of WildFit, which is a business, Eric knows a lot about how to create businesses that work for you instead of you having to work for the business. And this is the plight of so many visionary entrepreneurs who want to make a difference to the world. They they want to do something amazing. They create a structure to be able to deliver their gift. And then the structure becomes their prison. The structure becomes something to which they are in servitude. So Eric's going to shine some amazing light today on the possibility of what he calls business freedom which means creating a business structure which sets you free to be at your most brilliant instead of enslaving you. He's got a lot of incredible insights about this, about how to hire people, how to how to structure the business itself. It's it's a fairly complete guide on how to set the founder free to give the best gift they have. Enjoy this conversation. Hey, Eric, my bro. We're back. We're back. Thank you for coming back to the Radical Brilliance podcast. And we're going to talk about business freedom. And uh, I know we're going to go in lots of directions, you and me, because we've got those kind of minds that can't go in a straight line, <laughs> as well as in circuitous routes. But they treat that like an, like an affliction now. Right. Exactly. All right. Uh, so let's just celebrate our ADD for an hour. So, um, first of all, let's just define what you, why you chose that term, business freedom, and, and, then, and then let's also go on and just give us some top salient points, and then we'll unpack them. I, you know, I, it, it, um, I have a core belief about business, and the core belief is that you know, entrepreneurship, practiced correctly, is the ultimate expression of personal freedom. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a very real sense, I think... You know, if we think about how it used to be with, like, royal families and lords and, you know, that sort of uh, inbuilt, uh, hereditary, peer-based population structure, you'd have these people that had incredible levels of freedom. They owned the land, and the people beneath them were forced to pay their taxes up to the lord, and and these people had incredibly high qualities of life. That is the ones at the top of the the structure. Yeah. But that structure was um, artificially imposed through force, violence, and and bloodlines. Mm -hmm. And in a very real sense, I think that entrepreneurship today is a... uh, 
is um, a Darwinian system of royalty. Mm-hmm. And, and so what, what it means is... Great. Say it again, what it's so cool. A Darwinian system that's great. I'm yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, there's still a little bit of inheritance here and there. If I'm very, very successful and then I can leave my right. my kingdom or my, my my title in a sense to my children, but yeah. they still have to make it work, yeah. right? In the old days, you could have a completely inept right. child take over the, the, the title, right? And so now you can have, like, where, you know, us commoners... Mm-hmm. I know you know, from the aisles, so you understand well, commoners. Speak yourself, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, us commoners uh, can go out and start a business, yeah. create a significant amount of value for people, and as a result of that, live like royalty. Right, and not only live like royalty, but live live your dreams. I mean, live an yeah. incredibly an incredibly self generated, fulfilled life. And in a very real sense. We today, I mean, even the average person today can live a life uh, um, with uh, perks and quirks that are better than any pharaoh had. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I often think about that. Like, what would a pharaoh pay for, like, a tub of hot water, yeah. you know, like, like, on demand? Right. Or what would a pharaoh pay for uh, a car? Right. Or Google, how about? Right, you know? right. But, but now, in our model of the world, the, the entrepreneur has the capacity to create a lifestyle, a quality of life. Yeah, that surpasses anything that's ever been available. You know, even ordinary people. This is that's, that's such a great point. So let's take our first ADD deviation there, because you know I want just to tell you a story just to reflect on that, because it will actually. And I, then after we'll get the listeners to vote on who's more ADD. <laughs> I'm kidding. Go ahead. I already concede. <laughs> I've taken it to the max because I tell you what, I won't remember to, to come back to collect the vote. <laughs> what are they counting? <laughs> What listeners? What are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. So, so um, you know, I went into our... We have a, a local food co-op, right? Which is, I mean, it's, it's the size of several city blocks, this building. And I went in and just... I mean, I re- already got lost in the fresh produce section. It's so big. And I bumped into two friends, two friends talking to each other. And they were in this kind of, oh, yeah, you know, it was, it was after the fires, there was some smoke and feel a little heavy in my chest. It's like it's so hard right now. And, oh, it's really, I just get through each day, you know. And they said, how are you? <laughs> so they said to me, how are you? And they said to me, how are you? And I kind of looked up, surrounded by all this bright, colorful fruit from literally just by every corner of the world. There were fresh kiwis there. This is like the middle of winter. There's fresh, or late fall, but fresh kiwis, fresh pineapples, fresh mangoes, fresh everything. The whole store is like these concoctions of superfoods from every corner of the planet. They said, how are you? And I said, how am I? <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. This is completely awesome. I mean, there is... The, you know, as you said, the kings of France, the pharaohs of Egypt, didn't, they didn't come anywhere close to this kind of luxury. And that's not even if you're a highly successful entrepreneur. If, you're just like, if you've just got a store nearby that sells that kind of food, you have hit lucky already. Yeah. So it is actually a good point that I think will tie into business freedom, is to recognize that the opportunities we have are just... We've already won the lottery before we even start. You know, Even, even if you're not, quote, successful in worldly terms, 
you're already living a very blessed incarnation. I really liked what Wayne Dyer said about that. He, he said, you know, when, before things made it for him in a big way and his books were out there and stuff, and if you ever got panicky about money or whatever, he, he would simply think to himself, well, you know what, if it gets really bad, mm. I can just go down to the local Safeway and I can steal grapes because <laughs> they're right there. You know, and who hasn't eaten the odd grape in the grocery <laughs> store, right? But it, but it speaks to exactly what we're talking about is that we, we on, a, on an individual basis, before we even talk about using entrepreneurship to elevate quality of life, we live in unbelievable standard of freedom and unbelievable <sighs> quality of life. Yeah. And then when you add... Uh, when you add, you know, entrepreneurship to it, because unfortunately, many people are living that unbelievable standard, but it doesn't feel like an unbelievable standard to them. And one of the reasons is contrast. Mm. Uh, the comedian, though, uh, Dave Chappelle, he, I saw him speaking a while back, and he says, you know, he goes, a lot of people think I grew up on the street, and he goes, the only reason they think that is because I never disavowed them, of, disavowed them of the belief because it, su- it supported my mission. I wanted them to think I came from the street, but he says, I, I didn't. Eat. He says, I grew up in a middle class neighborhood, and he goes, let me tell you, that's worse. Mm-hmm. He goes, I was a poor black guy in a middle-class neighborhood. I knew how poor I was. Mm-hmm. He goes, had I grown up in a, in a poor neighborhood, I wouldn't have known. Right. And so now we have this thing where people are living a, um, they're living in a, in a level of abundance un, un, unseen ever before, mm-hmm. but they're feeling the kind of stresses. They, they feel like they're in some kind of strange economic servitude. They have a job that they don't like. Mm-hmm. They have debts they can't quite handle. And they're living with all the same adrenaline mm-hmm. and all the same cortisol mm-hmm. and all the same stress that That's was existed survival. before. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I think that the, the entrepreneurship uh, uh, creates self-determination. Mm-hmm. It's not now about having a job where you're dependent on somebody else to pay you. And, mm. and, you know, and a lot of people think, oh, well, look, I'll have a job because it'll give me job security. Like, good luck with that. Mm. That's, that's, that ship sailed. Like, mm. you know, a job security doesn't exist in the way it did when the word job security, when the phrase job security was created. Yeah. And so I stand by, in my opinion, the idea is when the first time a kid, you know, stands up and collects a bunch of lemons and makes lemonade and walks down and sells it on the front of his street, that's the moment when that kid, he or she, is saying, I'm in charge of my destiny. I'm not waiting for my parents to give me pocket money. Right. I'm going to have fun this weekend. Exactly. And, and of course, that it goes all the way from there to Jeff Bezos. Right. And it's funny, actually, because even that, that uh, image of you know, the kid with the lemonade stand... Even that's out of date because no one does that anymore. What they do, kids now, they make a website. Sure. And they sell stuff on what's it called, Hitsies, or, you know, where you sell, where they sell handcrafted stuff. Or they just create YouTube channels. There's, yeah. I can't think of his name now, but there's this kid who has a YouTube channel where Justin he just toys. <laughs> no, no, no. This is a, right. just a, not, not some pop celebrity. I'm talking about a normal everyday kid. He's about six years old, seven years old. And he has a YouTube channel where all he does is open toys yeah. and, 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 and does toy reviews. Right. But, but right down to the packaging. Well, this toy is quite tough to open, I notice. And, oh, I think I've cut my And they phone. send him free toys? He's making $6 million a year. <laughs> <laughs> He's gone a little past the free toys. <laughs> but, you know... It, He's six years old? I, six or eight. Maybe, right. I, maybe it's a while since yeah. I read it. But the point being is we really... We live in a time when we can create... Right. This sense of royalty in our lives. And, yes. and one of the ways that I define that, there's, I guess there's a few, but one of the ways that I define that is having the economic freedom to live the way you want to live. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is having the temporal freedom to spend your time the way you want to spend it. Exactly. And, and, and that's what, when entrepreneurship is practiced correctly, that's what it's like. Right. Now, the difficulty is most people don't practice entrepreneurship correctly because school didn't prepare us for entrepreneurship. School... School punished us for collaboration. They called it cheating. Mm-hmm. School uh, mm-hmm. told us to work harder on our weaknesses than on our strengths. Mm-hmm. So school didn't condition us for the world of entrepreneurship. And right. And this Steve Jobs and many others didn't even complete their uh, their degree. Yeah, exactly. And and so and again, there's there's this leveling of the playing field where it's not you know school. 
I remember uh, Ken Robinson, uh, Sir Ken Robinson. He says um, he says if you really look at the school system, if you really think about what it's for, you know, school and then university. If you really think about the high water mark, what it's built for, what it's meant to create, he says the high water mark must be university professors. That's what school is designed to create. Yeah. And he says, and he says, I don't think they make a very good high water mark at all. I actually sat in a fairly small room recently and listened to Ken Robinson say those words. But let me tell you my Ken Robinson story in our true ADD spirit. Okay. Recently I was at a conference. I managed to actually give my book, Radical Brilliance, to um, Al Gore. Right. So I was pretty euphoric after I actually managed to give my book to Al Gore. Wow. So I walk out of this auditorium, this huge auditorium where Al Gore had been speaking, and I, I walk out into the foyer of this, of this uh, theater, and there's three steps going down that go to the street. And, I, and I'm sort of euphoric, and I'm like, ah, you know. And, I, and there was somebody coming up the steps, so I didn't notice. So I actually knocked this person, who luckily fell back into the arms of his son, but otherwise he would have fell to the ground. The person that I almost knocked to the ground was Sir Ken Robinson. <laughs> so I'll give you my similar version is uh, years ago a very good friend of mine uh, Kathy Crosby from um, you know tennis and yeah. Wonder Woman and stuff and she was going through some difficult things after an unconscionably bad divorce um, and uh, so one of the projects I had was to get her out and do fun stuff and so I, I, I wanted to go I said we need to go to a sporting event so she's like okay we'll go to a sporting event so she calls her friend Jerry Buss who owns the Lakers and <laughs> arranges us like VIP passes to this game. I've never even been to a basketball game. So my, my bumping into somebody is almost the same, but opposite in that I walked around a corner and I walked into somebody and he was so solid. It was so like walking into a brick wall that I nearly fell down. And okay. I, I bumped into David Beckham. Okay. But he, is, okay. he is like a brick wall solid. Oh, right. <laughs> so, Interesting. Anyway, there's a, a few ADD versions. Yes, I don't, I don't even know if I could get back you know, to where we started now. Did you ever read the book 100 Years of Solitude? No. Okay, well, it's a great book, one of the greatest books ever written. It, it requires some focus, actually. <laughs> it's a long book. But anyway... The, the, the hero, or the, the protagonist of the book, who lasts through the whole thing, finally he gets to the end, he's very old. At the end of the book, he lays, spends most of his time in bed, laying down, dreaming, and he dreams that he's in a wicker room with all wicker furniture. Everything's made of wicker, you know? And, and then there's a door, a wicker door, and he opens the wicker door, and it leads into another identical wicker room. And then he explores some more. There's another door, and he goes to a wicker room after wicker room. Well, anyway, in the Hundred Years of Solitude, he actually can no longer distinguish between the wicker rooms and he can't get his way back to the one where he started and hence no one ever hears him speak again. And I think we're about the same journey right now. I don't know if I could get back to where we started. Well, we, we, we really... <laughs> I, I, luckily, I'm on track. No, no, yes, yes, <laughs> right. No, I can, I can. So let's get back to freedom, okay? Because we were talking about the incredible freedom that we are allowed and you actually pointed out some of the... You listed some of the ailments people suffer from and what I noticed when you pointed out the, you listed some things. The ailments that you listed were all actually self-created. Yeah. Okay? So we have almost, and this is actually, I mean, it's a very different kind of challenge. You know, we don't have the challenge to put bread on our table. We don't have the challenge to fight against the machine. We have the challenge actually to make good choices, to, to find our gift. Uh, and to create something incredible that can be a legacy. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a complicated um, topic. That's not obviously just specific to business. I, I have a, 
in all the work that I've done in, in you know, researching and creating WildFit and, and frankly, you know, pervasively in the other areas when, I'm, when I speak about parenting or relationship dynamics and that kind of stuff when, I, when I'm exploring those areas. There's a principle I've kind of stumbled upon, and I, I, I needed a name for it, and I call it the evolution gap. Mm. And I think the evolution gap is probably the source of almost all human suffering. And all it is is that first understanding that evolution moves at an incredibly slow pace, mm. and that about starting you know roughly 30,000-ish years ago, society started changing at a pace much faster than evolution. And so the gap is the gap between oh, our right. evolution yeah. and our society's change. Okay. And I think, um, like for example, our, our um, you know our adrenal system. So you're talking about the difference between social and biological evolution, then? Yeah, I, exactly. Well, social, uh, yeah, civilization, um, social, environmental, uh, uh, nutritional. Yeah. All, everything about our society has changed. It took a left turn. Faster than the body. Faster than the body could yeah. keep up with it. You yeah. know, we've we've made it. We've made more change in the last thirty thousand years than we did in the three hundred thousand before that well and but also we've probably made more change in our in in our lifetime it will it, again and it's accelerating yeah, yeah and so i the evolution gap is that, that i work to close with clients whether it's public speaking or whether it's the relationships or whether it's parenting the, the gap that i'm always trying to close is that mm-hmm. and it, it comes to what you said is that in a sense all that suffering is self-created it's self-created but it's self-created because we have software and hardware that was designed for a different time. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I often use the example of if you and I are walking along and, and, and we see a lion. Well, today we see that lion. It causes a huge, you know, adrenaline spike. We've got cortisol in our system. We, we hard write something to our amygdala that says this particular street is very dangerous. Don't come back to this street. And, and then we, go, we go and get therapy you know, for the next seven years trying to get rid of the lion. Mm. And, and in the old days, our ancestors just had to deal with that lion and move on with their lives. Mm. And then and they might bump into the lion again, and then they had to, distra- they had to develop lion coping methods mm. instead of, you know, um, internalizing that thing and turning it into a lifelong stress. Right. The same thing with, uh, you know, like here's a funny thing, you know, the way we look at uh, um, parenting is so interesting. I was just having a conversation with my wife because... You know, we are so lucky to have this incredible Montessori-themed preschool right near our house. And every now and again, we bump into parents that are like, why do you send your child to preschool? You should be raising your child yourself. And Mm. we do raise our child ourselves. Mm. We're also very much aware Mm. that as an only child, Mm. without children around her, Mm. um, we want her to have a variety of social experiences. We want her to have all of that stuff. And so we, we... believe, I look, as a perfect example, when I've been visiting with the Hadza Bushmen uh, in East Africa, hunter-gatherer, nomadic people, I can tell you something. You could come with me. Maybe you should one time. I'm, I'm going to. Don't we have it planned? We're going to do it. We're going to do it. I think, wasn't it this year we were going up Kilimanjaro? And I'm not going up Kilimanjaro again. Don't start that. Okay, well, <laughs> Seven trips is enough. I was going to do something with you in Africa. We're going to, we're going to go see the Bushmen. And uh, here's the thing. Yes. Yeah. Is... If there's a three-year-old there, I challenge you to identify. So I challenge you to identify who the parents are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and takes a village, right? Exactly. Yeah. So the challenge is now we've got this attachment parenting world where we, where where parents turn on each other and judge each other and force them to be, you know, with the child night and day, and 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 you know they have these strict rules about it, and and when we close that gap. I think we raise more functional children. And that's, so I think this thing you're saying about it's our responsibility. Yes, we create it, but we need to know that we're creating it with a machine, a body, yes. that's outdated for the times. Absolutely. And that's the, I think that's what consciousness is for. Let me respond with one, one comment on that, and then let's get back to, the, to, to where we started with 
entrepreneurial freedom, yeah. No, but I was actually curious when you were saying this thing, I, I, it set off a thought in my mind that perhaps because of what you're saying, that evolution went at a certain speed for a long time, really, we, and, and human beings just went along with that speed. Now, what we can see emerging in the last really 10 years is the understanding of one of epigen epigenetics and two, this absolutely massive interest in biohacking, which is possibly the deliberate speeding up of biological adaptability. You know, I, I think we could go down a rabbit hole if we do that. I'm just going to no, point one thing out to you. I'm just point one thing out to you. Um, braces would be the ultimate biohack. Somebody's got their teeth, they're all funny out, we biohack it. We go yeah. in there and we fix it, right? Mm. The challenge is that person's DNA mm. is still crooked teeth. So in, 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 in old, like, if, you know, long before well, this happened, you would, we yeah. would have selected based yeah. on that as a selection criteria. Mm -hmm. Now we can biohack that mm -hmm. so that individual can have the experience of, 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 of straight teeth, which might lead to greater health and all that kind of stuff. But their children are still going to have those genes. Right. Well, you know, Bruce Lipson would argue that you can rewrite the DNA. Like I said, that's the rabbit hole. Yes, the rabbit hole. Okay. One day when they show that happening, I'll be fine. But yeah. right now, all the evidence, yeah. you know, objective reality, external world, all the evidence is evolution, the evolutionary velocity moves at a pace. I hate that external world. It's very inconvenient. <laughs> very inconvenient. Okay. Every now and again I want to fly and the damn, that Newton thing with the gravity. Have you mastered that one yet, so Eric? Difficult. I thought you were, oh, okay. If you're enjoying this podcast with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might also enjoy our eight-week online group coaching program. It's an opportunity to go deep and get stable in practices that enhance your own brilliance. We only take 20 participants at a time, so in a small and intimate group, you can go through the whole Radical Brilliance cycle. You'll have an accountability partner in another brilliant aspirant from somewhere around the world. The eight-week coaching program involves eight one-hour webinars with Arjuna Arda and a group of other Radical Brilliance coaches. You'll also receive one 30-minute coaching session with your own personal coach every week and one 90-minute coaching session with Arjuna himself. It's the ideal opportunity to drop deep into yourself, into the source of your own creativity, and to get support for an entire eight weeks of mining your own radical brilliance and bringing it forth into a project or creation that can truly serve the future of humanity. Find out more at RadicalBrilliance.com and click on the Programs tab. Anyway, so let's get back to the business freedom, okay? Right. Because what we've been, what we've really established is we have the possibility to virtually, I mean, most people have the possibility to virtually, I mean, relative to any previous time, to create almost anything they want. You know, like, go back just one or two generations, you knew what you were going to do with your life. You were pretty right. much going to do what your father did, and if you were a girl, you were going to raise kids and cook food, right? Yeah. And today, you know, it's like, I mean, if you can apply yourself and focus yourself, which we're having trouble with, but if you can apply yourself and focus yourself, you have almost unlimited possibilities. So my question I want to just lead you with is, 
Freedom to what? You know, you have that business freedom gives us freedom to do what? Well, first of all, freedom itself is a careful word to consider. Yeah, I think. Yeah, let's, like, let's, let's explore freedom. I yeah. think that um, for many people, the word freedom is uh, is not actually a good word mm. uh, because it's a um, it's an escape. It's freedom. Um, it's freedom from things. Yeah, and so they're running. And so I think that when we look at the word freedom, we have to look at freedom from what, mm. but freedom to what. Exactly. Beautiful. And so you know what we're seeing now is, uh, look, I considered I, I lived in England for ten years, and I, as a member of the Commonwealth, Sorry. I could run for uh, I could run for office there, and I, started, I my business was running very well. I didn't need to be at work, mm. and I I thought it's time for me to give back in some you know in, in a social. Uh, responsibility kind of way and I didn't know what to do and I got interested in, in British politics and I, I did a little exploration into running for parliament I thought you know I'm I, as I, an MP I'm a, as an MP yeah. I feel like I'm an effective communicator I can get my point across on camera or on a stage but I can go I can do that and then I took a look at the structure of politics and you know in, in the short version if you compare it to a job mm. you go for the job interview if you get the job you spend the next two years doing the job and then you spend the next two years after that begging for the job again, you know, right. campaigning. Oh, I see, yeah. And then, and then if you get the job again, you spend two years doing the Repeated job. Repeated job interview. And, yeah. you, and then you spend two years doing this, and the pace of change is so unbelievable. And that's only one of the symptoms, or one of the problems that causes So MPs are re-elected every two years? Four, uh, four. Well, four. In Britain, it's four or five years. It's a little okay. different than the American system. But Well, in the Senate, it's six. Yeah, so so it's it's but the, but that was like I looked at that and I thought, well, politics is not designed for speed, which is probably good. It creates stability. I mean, mm -hmm. one of the reasons that America has been so I think America has the best startup constitution in the history of nation building, but it's a startup constitution, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, but I looked at all that from a politics perspective, and I'm like, wow. So, you know, that slowness. If you look at the three branches of government in the American system, it's very rare that one party has all three branches, mm -hmm. and so it slows the process down. It creates stability. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it slows the process down, which means when we wanted to address like you know issues like conservation and the little thin blue layer of biosphere that we require to live, mm. we're too slow to fix that now. Mm. And and what now I'm looking at is if we really look at who's going to have an impact on changing the world, it's going to be the new royalty. It's going to be entrepreneurs. entrepreneurs. Absolutely, I so agree with you. I mean, that's actually our company. Radical Brilliance Project is based exactly on that premise that we actually put it in our kind of mission statement, we've given up on government, on religion, on organized religion, and NGOs. We put our faith in young, we put young at heart entrepreneurs, which means young or at least young. young uh, I would even challenge you a little to say that you may have given up on government, but the single best way that you're going to influence government is by doing what you're doing. Yeah. You know, we, we have been working very hard through WildFit to influence food production, food regulation, that kind of stuff, but the very best way... The very best way for us to do that is um, is with the people. And if you you may not have seen this, but the uh, the Canada just released their new Canada Food Guide, hmm. and they've taken dairy products out. Now I, I want you to think about what that means from an evolution. What do you mean they've ago. taken it out? Dairy products are no longer a recommended food in the Canada okay. Food Guide. You keep talking. I just want to stop that machine. So what I'm saying is is that. The government is capable of change, yeah. but if, if the government had attempted to remove dairy products from the food guide 20 years ago, there would have been wholesale rebellion because the, the hypnosis of the time, the, yeah. the, the belief of the time was that it was imperative to health. Now we know that's a complete fabrication. It's not true at all. And so the government catches up. And so people like you and I, when we go out and empower an entrepreneur to um, create a brilliant business and a brilliant life, here's kind of, 
here's kind of my goal. I'm making brilliant. Board entrepreneurs. Yeah. I want to create as many board entrepreneurs as I can. I want them to like initially be passionate about their business and be excited about it. And then one day I want their business to be operating so smoothly, mm. growing so nicely that they become bored. And then they will take their incredible optimism, their, their incredible optimism and their incredible creativity and their board of their business and they will now either start another business mm. or they'll turn their mind to social projects and they'll yeah. figure out what, why so many people are not having water over here yeah. and why... So much pollution is getting and many here. people actually that's great many people are actually now younger people are starting businesses in that way they're coming yeah. out of they're coming out of university or even while still in university they're initiating businesses where the primary drive of the enterprise yes is environmental social financial change and by the way we need to make money to pay off our investors but it's the primary reason but let's i want to still come back because i feel we haven't quite unpacked the word freedom yet so in the context of business freedom let's define the word freedom there because you just said it means many things well it means freedom from yeah. and freedom to and in, in, in the entrepreneurial sense i think that when somebody builds a, a compelling business that's operating smoothly, that doesn't need them to be there, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it really, entrepreneurship is the ability to build a life that allows you to do what you want, mm. when you want, mm. as much as you want, with whomever you want. Yeah. It, it just allows you a huge amount of personal liberty. Okay. And, and I think that, um, I think that's the ideal. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't... So freedom from... The constraints of, you know, marketing, accounting, project management. Freedom from spending time doing things you don't want to do. Exactly. Great. That's really what it is. Now, many people, we, we talk about two different levels of business freedom. Mm. Uh, business freedom, in a sense, level one. And not even level, it's type. Mm. Type one business freedom is um, probably much like the way you live. Yeah. You love what you do. I do. I don't know that your business would go very well if you stopped doing. I don't know how that would work. Not if I stop contributing what I contribute. Right. Yeah. That said, you love what in in a normal day. What percentage if we have a Venn, if we have a pie chart? Mm. What percentage of the day is pure enjoyment to you? Close to a hundred. Then that's type one business freedom. Yeah. But you get that that's not the case for most people, right? Right. Most people are I enjoy twelve percent of my day at work and it's not doing my job. Right. Or I enjoy fifty percent of my day. Yeah. And so our first job with our clients is to move that pie chart. To get them into the into the you know ninety to ninety five percent of enjoyment of yeah, their day. I see. And and uh, where that I was inspired to think about that is I saw uh, you know Muhammad Ali did this beautiful. Can I just make a quick comment before you go on? Because sure. I, I just wanted to qual- qualify that because it may it may influence what you're going to say next. In terms of enjoyment, you know, I, I interviewed Lynn Twist lately. Yeah. And she said, you know, she was talking about a life of contribution and making a difference, and she said, you know, I can't even remember what my desires are anymore. Like, I know that some, at some point I had personal desires. I can't remember them. Because what she's saying is to contribute and make a difference and support other people is so fulfilling that the sense of my pleasure kind of actually becomes sort of irrelevant. And I wanted to contextualize that when you talked about, you know, how much, how much you said how much do you, time do you spend enjoying I spend my day really in, in, in supporting and serving other people, but in a way that is incredibly fulfilling. I don't spend a whole lot of time like 
you know, doing fun things exactly in the con- in the conventional sense. It's not like I'm on holiday all day. I'm very focused, making a difference, but I find that to be extraordinarily fulfilling. So I want to. Want to I, I think it's all semantics. You might not think of it as fun because maybe you feel like fun means you have to be jumping around and dancing or what have you. I would put it to you that the difference between Lynn Twist and Mother Teresa yeah. is that Mother Teresa sacrificed her quality of life now for what she believed she'd get in the afterlife. And, and it's something she was deeply challenged by, uh-huh. that she lived in suffering and squalor and difficulty, and, and, and she didn't enjoy it. Uh-huh. Where Lynn Twist, I, I mean, she's one of my favorite people in the world. Yeah, she enjoys what she's doing. Yeah. She, she, it, 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 it's, it, she's not waking up in the morning going, I'm doing this because God's going to reward me later. She's doing this because she absolutely believes it needs to be get, it get done, and she's fulfilled by doing so. And so my, and, and it, maybe we could get a little more complex with your pie chart and we could say, imagine you divided your day up into three levels of tasks, mm-hmm. things that you regard to be joy, like really fun, mm-hmm. things that you regard to be spiritually fulfilling and things that you regard to be distasteful. And most people in the Western world have mm-hmm. a significant portion of their day that falls into distasteful. I get it. And so what I'm saying is, let's get it into those other two categories. Yeah. So, like you, mm-hmm. I, there are many, many things that I do that are deeply fulfilling, but that maybe aren't technically fun. Right. Right? So uh, I don't really find writing to be fun, but I find it very fulfilling, and I enjoy it. Yeah. Standing on stage and doing five-day workshops and creating, you know, and creating incredible breakthroughs for people—that's fun. Mm-hmm. I am having, I am playing and laughing and having mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. If I can get my life built where it's those, it's that deeply fulfilling and fun is the vast majority of my part pie chart. I that would give me type one business freedom. Yeah, Emo- which is in a sense, you know, emotional freedom. Mm-hmm. Type two business freedom is the next evolution. Did you want to do the Muhammad Ali? I, I'll, I will because it's related. It's the next evolution, and that is where you don't have to do it at all. Okay. Where the business mm-hmm. is absolutely independent of you. It doesn't need you to be there. And so you see that the one theme in these two things is it's allowing you to determine what you're spending your time doing. So to, to Muhammad Ali. He did this beautiful thing where he stands there up on stage and he has his hands wide apart in front of him. He goes, this, let's imagine this is the, your, life, your lifetime. Mm-hmm. How much of you have already lived? Well, you and I, we've lived that much of it. You know, we've cut that in half, right? Mm-hmm. And so, in a, in a, and I know many people are on audio in this. I just want to be clear. Like, you suddenly have this line and it's half what it was. Now you can How take a look you? at it. I'm, I'm approaching 50, let's say, from a distance. So, so you're mid-40s? Yeah, uh, late-40s. So, yeah, I'm so, 61, so, but I plan to live to 120, so I'm about halfway. The point is, you're about halfway. Halfway, yeah. And so, you take a look and go, of that halfway, how much of that time are you going to sleep? But, you know, a third-ish. Yeah, ish. And then, of that time, how much time are you going to work? Depends how you could be time. Could be half. Yeah. And it depends on how you define work. Yeah. But of the time that's, that's not work, because yeah. bear in mind, most people don't regard that work to be enjoyable, yeah. right? Yeah. What's left? How much of that time are you spending filling out a tax return or sitting in the dentist's office or waiting in an airport, right? When you look at at it that way, like, minutes are valuable. Mm. Minutes are valuable. Like, you know, five years ago, I would do an interview for anybody who asked. I was building my brand, Mm. asking me, no, I I turn them down all the time now. I do the interviews that I think are going to be fun. Well, thank you. Because minutes... Because minutes matter, yeah, right? Yeah. But one of the biggest areas that we can give the people the minutes back yeah. is in that eight-hour-a-day chunk that they work. Uh-huh, okay, or okay. or six-hour or 12-hour, but you yeah. know that chunk of time that they lose to work. 
And if we suddenly convert that time to enjoyment, we have not doubled their lifespan.、Mm-hmm. We've like multiplied it by ten times in a sense,、yeah. because they only had minutes of enjoyment. You see, we I get it.、Yeah. It's massive,、okay. and that's what business freedom is about. Yeah, the social contribution thing comes next, but it, it strikes me that the oxygen mask metaphor comes to play. Absolutely, we first have to teach people to put their own oxygen mask on, and when they've got it on, and I'll tell you one of the challenges I have with these the young people you're talking about now、mm-hmm. that want their socially conscious business. Some of them nail it; they get it. Completely right, but many of them don't, and and they show up at my workshops you and they go, "Eric,、well, right? I she's doing it right." Yeah, but but you know many of them aren't, and they come to my workshops and they say, "Eric, I don't care about money. I just want to feed the homeless,、mm-hmm. or I don't care about money. I just want to empower women."、I'm、like if you don't care about money, yeah, there's you know that's the blood, that's、yeah. the lifeblood of the business, and so there has to be a balance there. Absolutely. Let's get granular for this. Let's, let's let's get granular, and so I, I I get what you're saying, and I think it's going to be massively helpful to tons of people. So let's 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 get some next steps. You know, like what can you do to free up the eight hours that just feels like grind work? One of the very most basic things, and I say that it's very basic, and sometimes it might diminish from the power of it, but it's incredibly powerful. One of the basic tools that we introduce people to at, at,、um, in our business reading courses is something we call role mapping.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, role mapping might be mistaken for organizational charts,、mm-hmm. but they're not.、Mm-hmm. See, an organizational chart is really good for two things: your ego, because <laughs> you kind of look at it and go, "Look how big my organization is,、yeah. has become." And then the other thing that it's good for is mapping. Communication paths.、Mm-hmm. This person reports. The challenge is most organizational charts are out of date within an hour of you creating them, or、mm-hmm. within a week.、Mm-hmm. And there's not much diagnostic about them. It'll show, show you roughly how big the organization is and roughly what the communication chains are. It's basically a, a, a very ba- it's a very basic chart. Would you say that it also includes some element of job description, so you know who's doing what? Yeah, your departmental stuff. It's like you、mm-hmm. kind of know what they're doing, and you know roughly who they talk to. Like who's editing the blog, who's posting? But not really, because you know this guy here who reports to Jim,、mm-hmm. he's editing the blog, but he also helps out with this video editing over here. Yeah. You see, it doesn't keep track of that. It keeps、mm-hmm. track of where he lives, but not what he or she does. Okay. A role map is different, and so the steps because this this is very practical. This is a good time for a notepad and a pen for anybody who's listening. <laughs>、uh, the first step is to create a map that looks like an organizational chart, but has no names on it. It has roles,、mm-hmm. only roles, and it has roles、uh, in the reporting structure. So there's going to be a managing director, CEO type role. Then that's probably going to lead down to you know a first layer of management. Of course, every business is a little different. I'm just talking generically. That first layer of management probably has a CFO or finance director,、uh, you know, an operations director, maybe an IT manager,、um, sales and marketing director. It, it has that that layer, and then there are jobs or roles that exist underneath that. So step one is to map that. The, the company out, but not according to how the company is now,、mm. how the company is going to be.、Mm-hmm. So when I did this my first time, I was sitting in my living room in Rinkton. I don't even do you know Rinkton, just outside of Bristol. Oh no,、okay. a little town. And、mm-hmm. I sat in my living room in Rinkton、uh, um, at the end of Garston Close. Oddly, is it popping into my mind? Okay. And I sat in my living room and I created my role map. And I, CEO, actually managing director, we call it in England, right? Managing director, finance director. I wrote all this stuff down. And I just made all the boxes. What kind of company was it? It, it was IT company. It was going to be an IT company, but it was me in my living room.、Mm-hmm. That's what kind of. Oh, I see. Okay, you were dreaming it. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was. I was starting this company, and 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 so I created this role map, but 
if I was creating an organizational chart, it would have been Eric, and then their circle arrow right back to Eric. Eric reports to Eric, right? Like, that's the company, right? right? But with a role map, what I was able to do is map out all the roles that existed, okay? Now, the next step is to populate the boxes with the names of the people that you have. Yeah. Now, in my case, I was a solopreneur, right? Mm -hmm. So, who was going to be the managing director? Me. <laughs> felt very good to write my name in that box. I was very. I even had business cards that said managing director on them. I felt yeah. very important. You're managing yourself. That's right. <laughs> then, then I had to put my name in finance director, and then I had to put my name in operations manager, then I put my name in IT manager, then I put my name in marketing manager, then I put my name in sales director. And that's when I started producing copious amounts of, of, of cortisol. Mm -hmm. I started seeing what it was that I was taking on. I was like, I quit my job and now I have 14 jobs. Yeah. I, it became very real to me. Now, mm. step three. Mm. Now, by the way, going back to step two for a minute, many people will have employees. They do the same thing. Mm. Put the names in the boxes they should be in. But then step three is to look for problems. Mm -hmm. And the problems are very identifiable at this point. Mm -hmm. The problems exist where you have two names in one box. Mm -hmm. Very often the case in a... In two a, names in one box. Two names in one box. Two people doing this. Yeah. Thing now, it's one. fine if there are two people in that role that, are, you know, that might be involved in it. I'm going to suggest one of them should be primarily responsible. Yeah. But these days, you know, you're kind of small business. You're doing it. I'm doing it. We'll both work on the website. You know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So two names in one box is generally a bad idea. Mm -hmm. And the other one is one name mm -hmm. in too many boxes. Uh -huh. That's a problem. Okay. Right? And then another problem is any name in a box that they don't want to be in. Mm -hmm. Like a role that they don't enjoy. That right. they, that's, not, that's not in their flow. That's not in their, their personality type. Right. So, you see, in a heartbeat, you're able to see the business and immediately identify the problems. So, I did this with my role map, and I, I went down, I go, well, obviously there weren't two names in any boxes, because there's only one name in all the boxes. So, the next step for me was to take a red, mm. and a blue, and a green marker. And what it was, was red was all the jobs that I better get stopped doing fast. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the green one was all the jobs that I want to stop doing after that. Mm -hmm. And the blue ones are jobs I was willing to do for some years to come. Okay. And so now I had mapped out what we call mini exits. Yeah. Like my, my, I was going to quit those jobs. I was serving notice. I even get my clients today. They're so, they're so, I will never stop doing my own accounting, Eric. I need to do my own accounting. I show them two things and they go, oh, I'll give up my accounting in three weeks. Mm -hmm. And then I go, good. If that's true, write yourself a letter right now serving notice. Mm -hmm. Seriously. What are the two letter. things you show them? I show them uh, um, some really great ways of doing proceduralization. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, effectively, I show them how to create a procedures manual for the job that they want to give up. Because the reason they're afraid to give it up is they feel like somebody else won't do it well, or training them will take too long, or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's three things. I show them uh, that, the, 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 uh, how to do proceduralization, and, and some really easy ways to do it. It's not difficult. Everybody thinks it's this big mountain. It's really not. There's some great hacks there. And then the next thing I show them is the economic realities of them doing a job they shouldn't be doing. So, for example, when I had my company, say I was worth, you know, five or six hundred pounds an hour when I was in the sales room making sales calls. That's what I could close for revenue coming in. And every minute that I spent in the warehouse, I could have been paying somebody 12 pounds an hour to be in the warehouse. Mm -hmm. So every hour I was working in the warehouse was costing me 400 and 500 pounds an hour. Mm -hmm. So, And a lot of times people don't do that math. They go, oh, I don't want to get an accountant. I'll do it myself. Well, how much are you worth in your flame? How much are you worth yeah. when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? Right, right. So, and then the, um, and then the third thing is reporting. Uh, so I had this woman in Oslo in Norway, and she said to me firmly, she would never... She goes, I'll stop all the other stuff, but I will do the accounting. I will always do the accounting. Now, I, I knew why, because I'd gotten to know her a little bit, and she had control tendencies. Mm -hmm. And so I said, um, so you'll never give up doing your accounting. She goes, never. 
And I go, let me ask you a question. What if every Friday you received a one-page report and it showed you how much money you have in the bank, how much money people owe you and on what schedule, how much you owe and on what schedule, uh, and, um, and therefore a cash flow analysis that will show you out for the next three months rough, plus your sales projections. And it shows you roughly what your cash projection for the next three months is going to be. And it has a reconciliation list to show you how up-to-date the various data entries and what have you. And, uh, and, and any problem areas are highlighted in red. Yeah. And you got that report every Friday. How quickly would you give up doing your accounts? She goes, well, I'd stop doing them right now. And I go, well, but you said never. And she goes, yeah, but I don't have that report. And I go, well, yeah, but like, I just told you how to create it. And she goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> and she gave up her accounting a week later. Mm -hmm. Reports. Because very often we're holding on to a job because of a, de a need for certainty. Mm -hmm. And so if we can create that certainty through internal reporting systems, then we get the certainty without having to, to micromanage. Excellent. Okay. That's great. That's a very granular, granular piece. It's super powerful. I mean, honestly, I I did that, and you know, people always say, "What?" You know, I, I look after six years in my business, I didn't have to go to work anymore. I, I literally didn't need to be there. It ran. That was the IT business. Yeah, yeah. In England. we were yeah. selling wireless networking systems and, and uh, warehouse management systems, barcode scanners, that sort of thing. And after six years, I, I still remember the first day it happened. I walked into my office hmm. and I walked past Jenny, my my uh, uh, assistant and I walked past Jenny and I was so busy at that stage that I had my that I had my assistant Jenny and Jenny had an assistant Sue mm -hmm. my assistant had an assistant like mm -hmm. we were we were busy and uh, and then one day I walked into the office I walked past uh, Jenny and Sue hi good morning and I walked into my office sat down and I had this desk plotter system where she would um, print out a template with all my tasks and appointments for the day and various projects that I had on the go just so I could see at a glance what needed to happen and it was blank the date was at the top, but it was blank. And I was like, Jenny, come on now. You've been here for three years, four years. You know the procedure. Why is this blank? I'm, I'm, I'm even a bit late today. Mm -hmm. You know, you had plenty of time. She goes, it's not blank. That's what your day looks like today. <laughs> There's nothing for you to do. <laughs> and I said, what? <laughs> she says, nothing for you to do. And I go, well, find me something to do. And she goes, we've talked to the department heads, and they don't want you to do anything. <laughs> I said, it's all operating smoothly, and they're afraid if you start doing stuff, it won't be so smooth anymore, because I'm the creative, right? <gasps> so th that feeling, and of course, the first day it happened wasn't the day it was permanent. It was just a day that was like that. And then there were more days like that. And then pretty soon, it was genuinely like that. It didn't have to be there. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's really important, because I heard this... Um, business uh, guru once and he said you don't need you know all this talk of exit strategies you don't need an exit strategy he said after all if you got on a plane and the pilot had an exit strategy how would you feel about being on that plane mm -hmm. and it's a cute chuckle creates an interesting visual image but it's logically flawed because I'm not getting on that plane if the pilot does not have an exit strategy and his exit strategy should be to land the plane at the airport for which I bought my ticket open the doors let me out and make sure my bags get there there needs to be an exit strategy the difficulty today is, is that the pace of change in business and technology and, 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 and finance is so rapid that for any business owner to start their business today and know what their exit strategy is going to be today, yeah. I'm going to go public, I'm going to sell it, I'm going to joint venture it, I'm going to franchise it, license it, who knows? Mm. But there's one truth, mm. and that is until you have exited all of the jobs inside the business, none of those exits are going to work properly. Okay. Okay. Great. As you're listening to this conversation with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might feel inspired to go deeper into your own expression of radical brilliance. 
Come join us for a one-week Radical Brilliance Laboratory held in a beautiful rural location in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California. During the laboratory, you'll have an opportunity to dive deeply into all four quadrants of the Brilliance Cycle. This means you'll be able to explore experiences of consciousness without boundaries. And you'll be able to start accessing original impulses of creativity from within yourself that can become your unique contribution to the world. You can get in touch with your own learning and integrate mistakes that will allow you to mature and grow. You'll have the chance to deeply mine your own resources as well as connect with other brilliant people in a small, intimate context for a week. You can check out the Radical Brilliance Laboratories at RadicalBrilliance.com under the Events tab. That's good. Let's, let's uh, give us another one. Uh, give us another granular uh, piece of, 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 of achieving. I'll tell you training. what. I mentioned the hacks on proceduralization. Mm-hmm. So first, let's talk about training. How training is done these days is often tragic. Uh, um, I hire you, you're an outstanding salesperson, and I think Arjuna is amazing, and he's kicking butt. And so now I hire, and I, and I trained Arjuna, you know, and maybe that's why he's amazing, because I was good, and I trained Arjuna, and now Arjuna's great. And so now what do I do? I, I go and I, I hire Robbie, mm. and, uh, and I hire Robbie, and how, how do I train Robbie? To do what Arjuna does. But who trains Robbie? Um, hopefully I do. Well, really? Because I'm the horse, I'm the source of the information, mm-hmm. and I've trained you, which mm-hmm. means you now have a perception of your training. Mm-hmm. And now, if you train Robbie, Robbie's not going to get my training. He's well, I said hopefully me, because it would then it, it gives you freedom. That's right. You're, you're, but that's the whole point: is that we that's one of the first mistakes we make in trying to get freedom. It's the right thing, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's the right thing done the wrong way. Okay. So let's take it another step further. Have you ever played that game sitting around the circle, I whisper to my left? Yes, yes. Chinese whispers or grandma's whispers. We don't call it that anymore. It's I know, it's slipped out. Sorry. <laughs> edit, edit the video. Okay. Yeah. Or leave it in because we're human and nobody yeah. meant anything. Yeah, that's it. what it was called when I was a kid. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so that's what that type of training creates. Now imagine instead that when I brought you in, uh, I trained you and I handed you a book, a procedures book with checklists that showed you exactly right. how I want everything done. Great. Yeah. This is how we make phone calls. Yeah. This is how we record them in our CRM system. Right. This is the way we send letters. This is how you fill out your sales reports and do your projections. This is how we do it. Let me show you. Now you can train Robbie. This thing about the procedural manual is actually the core of that book, The E-Myth. It, the, uh, Michael Gerber had yeah. did some genius work on that, and yeah. it's also the core, frankly, of the ISO 9000 quality standard, which mm-hmm. is you know that's one of the most valuable exercises I went through in my business because you have to have everything proceduralized. Yeah. yeah. Now, so there's a lot of reasons for that, but just in this context, it now means that when Robbie comes to you and gets training, mm-hmm. he you are training him from the source, which means we can hire the next person and Robbie can train them, mm-hmm. and the degradation of information is gone yes. or or largely reduced because the training is going to be consistent. Yeah. Now, 
here's what people say to me. Yeah, but Eric, I mean, proceduralizing my business, that would take forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would just take forever. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so often people come to me and go, Eric, I really need to hire somebody. I'm so busy. I need help. Well, why don't you? I'm too busy. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and well, so are you hoping you'll become less busy so you can hire somebody? Because generally less busy is something that happens right around the time of running out of money, mm-hmm. right? So what are you going to do? But if you've proceduralized everything, mm-hmm. then now let's look at another thing. If I haven't proceduralized things and I'm training you, how long does it take me to train you? But if I proceduralize, I barely even have to train you. I go, Robbie, or I said, Arjuna, here's the stuff to do. Yeah. Do you have any questions? Right. I'll be right here. Yeah. Training's done. Yeah. Instead of five days, it's five minutes. Yeah. And then when you train Robbie, instead of five days, it's five minutes. Yeah. So... All it means is I have to invest some time over here at the front end. Brilliant. You know, I'd like to get your comment. The way that we do that at the Radical Brilliance Project is we've actually got every task, of course a lot of these tasks are online, so every task is actually a video in a Kajabi site that's got a fairly good organizational structure to it. So you can actually go to this Kajabi site, look your way down through the navigation, and you get to a video that's a screen capture. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The more the more information you're giving people to be able to do the job properly, and it, there's another great benefit that it has, and it has to do with um, uh, you know employee psychology, and, and you know employees. If you think about who they are psychologically, they value certainty. Uh, they value certainty uh, more than entrepreneurs do, mm-hmm. and or at least in a different way than entrepreneurs do, and that's one of the reasons they get a job because they want the certainty of their paycheck. The challenge is that if you bring them into a business and don't train them the way you're describing and they don't have those videos and they don't have that stuff, then they have a fairly consistent feeling of uncertainty about their job for weeks. Mm-hmm. And that uncertainty gets anchored to their environment, to the smell of the office, to the paintings on the wall. And as a result, it doesn't leave them. Right. And so one of my jobs, I feel, as a business owner is, as a, as a business owner is to make sure that I create the highest degree of certainty that I can for my employees from the beginning. And one of the ways is having proceduralization. Now the challenge is people say, but I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have time to proceduralize. And I say to that, uh, it's just that you don't have a good strategy yet. One of the most powerful lessons in coaching I ever got, and I, I really, like, it was really powerful. It was a heartbeat moment where I fully understood the value of coaching beyond anything I'd ever seen before. Mm-hmm. I was hunting with the Hadza Bushman. Mm-hmm. And it was the very first time I went out with him, and they gave me a bone arrow. And, and they wanted to see if I could shoot the bow and arrow. That was the day you walked like 20 miles. Oh, God, I've done that. I've been out, so no, no, not that day. We didn't go so far. That was a, this was a warm-up day. Right. But they handed me, um, and it was 27 miles, the day you're thinking of. Yeah. Right. We, we can yeah. come to that if, it, if it's important. But they handed me a bow and arrow, and I, I grabbed the arrow, and I notched the arrow, and I pull it back. And I'm pulling back on the string. I've done archery. I'm not any genius at it, but I know what I'm doing roughly. Mm-hmm. And I pull back on the string, and I can't. I just can't. Now, later reading would tell me that uh, a, a compound sports bow that we use in, in, a, in competition in our civilized world that's been built by a machine with carbon, graphite, and you know whatever, it takes about 65 pounds of pressure per square inch to pull that back. So it's quite a thing to pull back. The Bushmans, made out of a local piece of wood from a tree, that they, a particular type of tree they use, made with gut, tied together by hand, yeah. 95 pounds of pressure per oh, square inch. Oh. So that's why I couldn't pull it back. I just didn't have it in me at that angle. I just oh. didn't have it. Oh. And now I'm starting to feel a little shame and embarrassment. There's, you know, like people around and the Bushmen are kind of looking at me like a city dweller can't pull the thing back. Mm. And uh, the chief, so compassionate, he comes up to me, can't speak English. He, he's like, you know, these clicking. Okay. Yeah. And he comes up to me and he moves the bow 
in it to me like this. Mm-hmm. And he moves it in close to my body. Mm-hmm. And, which I'm thinking, this is insane. And now I have no leverage to pull this back at all. I don't know what he's thinking. He's an idiot, as far as I can tell. And then he motions for me to push. And I push the bow out uh-huh. instead of pulling the string back. Okay, okay. And then it, the pressure on my fingers was so severe, I let go of the arrow. Mm-hmm. And the arrow, no kidding, flew through the air and hit the target. Oh, really? Purely an accident, but... Was, he, the, was the target an animal? Or no, no, a piece of baobab wood. Okay. But the point being is that that's what coaching is often. Yeah, yeah. That moment, that moment, I mean, if you think about it, if I was having to survive in Africa as a hunter, how much monetarily was that one second comment worth from Sure, exactly. Yeah. So he was modeling for you. Yeah, and so I want to do the same thing for anybody worried about how to do proceduralization. Yeah. I'll show you how to move the arrow, move right. the bow. First thing is, is that the old school way of doing it is you write down everything you do. Okay, mm-hmm. so you're going to raise an invoice, you go open accounting software, click on company, mm-hmm. you know, click on raise invoice, fill out invoice, etc. That's, that's one way. Uh, the other way to do it is that you go to a local school, business school, mm-hmm. and you get yourself a student intern. Mm-hmm. In many countries, for free, and in many countries, funded by the government. In mm-hmm. Norway, uh, I think Canada, Sweden, have programs where you can get uh, somebody to come in and do work experience and actually receive payment for doing it, mm-hmm. because they're hoping you'll keep them on afterward, and, mm-hmm. they, and you might. So you bring the intern in, and you say, this is the conversation you have. Now listen, Arjuna... You're going to be with me for the next three weeks, and the, what, it's going to be a great opportunity for you to study the way our business operates. And um, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to basically follow me around mm-hmm. and document everything I do while interviewing me about it. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if I sit down to raise an invoice mm-hmm. and I just start working away, you have to stop me, and I'll get irritated. You, you should say, know. what are you doing? Right? And say, what are you doing and why are you doing it? Right. And, I, so, and if I say I'm opening the accounting software, then you need to say, which software and how do I find it on the on the computer? Is it on the hard drive? Mm-hmm. Is it is it is it on the start menu? You you got to write that stuff down. And I want you to do that all the way along the line, except for when I go to the bathroom. You don't need to ask about that, <laughs> right? And and so now the student just follows you around and writes down everything you do. You've got. Right. A procedures manual. Right, right. That's another way. The other way is is that you simply, if you have staff, if you have staff, you, you just have your staff, you say to them, I need you to write one of your procedures that you do every day. Mm-hmm. That's it. Just one a day. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the month, you've got 25 procedures written. Mm-hmm. At the end of the year, you have 300 procedures written per employee. Yeah. Done. There's another way. Yeah. And that is a dictaphone. Yeah. Think about it. You you and I are older. Do you remember Quincy? Maybe you're, in the wrong, you were, you're on the other side of the water. during the, Quincy was the original CSI show. Okay. He was a, he was a, he was a um, um, you know, what do they call the, uh, the coroner? He was the coroner. So he, which side of the ocean was this one? It was American side. Okay. So probably before you crossed. Before my time. Before your time. Well, that, was, yeah. that would have been before the Pilgrim Fathers. <laughs> so he, uh, in any event, he was a coroner, and he would always, like, find clues in the body that would lead to capturing them. It was the original CSI. Yeah. But look at him or any other coroner you've ever seen in any shows. What are they doing while they're examining the body? They're speaking to a dictaphone. Yeah, right. Aren't they? Yeah, Aren't they always? For sure. I am making an incision from the belly button to the sternum. Yeah. I have identified one bullet close to the third rib. They're 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 laying it out. Right. So that's the that's the other hack. Yeah. You just tr- get your phone on, put it right. in record mode, put it on the desk beside you, and talk through what you're and doing. Then you go to rev.com. Then you, you go to rev.com. You go to fiber.com. You go to fancyhands.com. Yeah. And you go transcribe this, please. Right. And so not having a procedures manual is a matter of either laziness yeah. or not knowing these hacks. Can I add one? Absolutely. Because I, you haven't said the one that I love the best, which is uh, my team is spread out all over the place, and I, I'm absolutely with you. I want to I download tasks and never see them again. 
So what I, if somebody wants to know how to do something, I say, let's jump on Zoom. I hit the record button. Yeah, that's a hybrid version of the yeah, Zoom thing. You just, exactly. You, we do it with, um, we do Loom video, and it's, it's, it's we, we, we do a Loom video, and we go through exactly how we do what we're doing on the screen, and then you save the Loom to the video, because now it's right there. It's, right. It's, it's saved, which is a hybrid version of having the student come in to do it. Nice. So let's do, let's do this. Let's do one more granular piece that's really, like, significant to business freedom, and then I'd like to segue for the end of our conversation in, in, into a deeper look at freedom to what? You know, like now we've actually, we've got freedom from a lot of things, so we can actually explore, like, what are we going to do with this newfound freedom? Like, when you've got, when you start to have a series of days with nothing on this pad, but you're still committed, let's, so let's do that second, but let's do one more, one more, um, one more granular hack first. Give me a direction, where do you want to go? Whatever, I mean, you did one on, uh, on raw mapping, you did one basically on delegating or, or proceduralizing. Let's talk about delegation. Okay, is, is delegating so, different from procedures? No, it's completely different. So yeah. delegation, um, there, there, there's a couple of interesting things. First is, in my opinion, um, and I'm sure you're very familiar with this concept, but there's a, uh, in my view, there are, uh, um, there are people who speak literally, mm-hmm. and there are people who speak inferentially. And uh, there are people who listen literally, mm. and there are people who listen inferentially. Mm. So, uh, you know, I have a very good friend who speaks almost entirely inferentially. Uh, I'd be like, I'm, gosh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm a bit thirsty. You know, just, he just says stuff. And, and if you're not an inferential listener, you're like, yeah, me too. <laughs> right? So he's speaking inferentially, which means right. that he's in the hope that somebody is going to pick up his inference right. and take action and support him in some way. Right. Or, or is, it, is it just me or is it cold in here? That's right, uh-huh. which, is, which is the infer- inferential way of saying, could you please adjust the air conditioning? Exactly, yeah. So then, so you've got this, this problem, and then you've got uh, literal, literal communication, which is, hey, could, you, could, could I have a glass of water? In fact, I'll get myself a bottle of water right now. I, I need one. <laughs> bring me one, bring me a second one. That's another non-inferential request. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so, so there's the, those are the communication models, and then there's the listening models. Right? Incidentally, I've got to say one thing for people yes. watching this. It is much to our chagrin yes. that we are drinking from these things. Don't let this be an endorsement. We're in a hotel, sadly, where nothing else is available, but neither Eric nor I feel good about holding these things mm. in our hands. Anyway, carry on. No, we no longer allow them in our events, in fact. I was inspired by uh, Kent Weed, who's the producer of American Ninja Warrior. He's a good friend of mine. And he... Ab- and you imagine how big their production is? And he said, that's it. No yeah. more no more plastic bottles. And right. I thought, if he can do it for, like, 600 people at an event, yeah. I can do it for my events, and I did it. I'm with you. Yeah. That's our public service announcement, and it's a real one. Yeah. So, all right, so we've got this, like, you could be speaking inferentially or you could be speaking literally. And then there's the listening. And so where this is, I think the most functional, let, let me see, I think the happiest people in the world are the people who, who speak literally and listen inferentially. Wow, let me say that. Speak literally. Okay. And, and listen inferentially. Yeah. You know, I had a, I had a very... Minimized miscommunication. Minimized miscommunication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a funny situation with my mother and my brother one day. Uh, we were in the Kruger National Park in South Africa, which is a regular family haunt of ours. And um, so driving in the park, when we, I, I learned how to drive at 12 in the park, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, because there's no police. So they, my parents would let me drive and, and my brother. And, and so driving was always kind of this privilege when you went in the park. So the three of us go on this trip. We're now adults and we're in the, you know, my, my mother was an adult most of that time, but, mm-hmm. but my brother and I are now also adults and we're driving through the park and I end up driving. 
And I've been driving now for like five hours, mm-hmm. six hours, you know, because we're just driving through the park looking at elephants and lions and stuff. Savannah stuff. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's uh, the low belt. And mm-hmm. so we're driving along, and um, and I'm kind of feeling like I I kind of had enough of driving, but my mom looks so. Blissed, nobody's talking, and my mom looks so blissed out, and and my brother's like standing out the sunroof with his new video camera that he's bought, and so I kind of feel like, you know what, I'm okay to keep driving, I'm okay. Well, so when we get back to camp, there's this dark cloud that comes over. I mean, a metaphorical one, or a you know, a, you know, okay. not not a literal cloud. Okay, there was a emotional cloud, and I was like, what, what, what's going on here? And Suddenly, my mother and my brother both say, well, you hogged all the driving. Oh. And I, I, my brain could not process what they were saying. I, I, it was, they they may as well have said to me, you kick small puppies to death on Saturdays. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) For the last four hours, I was suffering through it. Like, I mean, I enjoyed driving for a while, but honestly, like, I... And and what had happened was is that nobody, not me. My, this is just as much my fault as theirs. I'm not yeah. like what happened was everybody. Nobody was communicating literally. Everybody went along with it. Everybody went along with it because things were done by inference and not by literal communication. Had any one of us been literal, had my brother said, "Hey, Eric, I would like to drive now," I would have been like. Absolutely. Right. If my mother had said, I would like to drive now, I'm like, thank you. And if I had said to them, guys, I'm kind of done with driving now, they would have said, great, we'd love to. Yeah. But in the end, none of us got what we wanted yeah. because none of us spoke literally. Can I, can I reflect on this for a minute? Because I had, I had a case of this today that you've just, you've just reflected back to me so well and I hadn't thought about it. Is that okay? Or, or might interrupt Absolutely. No, no, go for it. So I had a roommate here for last yeah. week because we're in a conference. You don't, not in your room very much. I had a roommate. And basically, we were, we were together for several days, and um, the agreement was that, uh, you know, the, the, the last day, he, he, the, the checkout was today, I booked an extra day. It's a relatively expensive hotel here, right? Yeah. So, um, so, you know, we didn't actually speak about it. it was, to me, it was an inference that checkout was 11, so I assumed at 11, he would leave, and then I would have my room. So, after lunch, he came back to take a nap. And I made a lot of inferential statements, like, uh, I think I said, um, oh, how long are you planning to be here? <laughs> and, uh, well, I've got a client soon, I guess I could go on the balcony. And it took me until four o'clock to actually say, um, listen, this is really awkward, but actually, you know, we were roommates up until 11 this morning, and I actually was really looking forward to having a room alone, and, you know, would you mind moving along? And he went, oh, shoot, I had no idea. I mean, you know, and, and he was incredibly gracious. But it took me, basically, from 11 till 4, it took me five hours to shift from inferential to direct. Yeah, it's really painful for people who, who are not wanting to be assertive in a given moment. And how it often shows up is, it's, if, it, if it isn't addressed, it, it becomes passive aggression. Mm-hmm. Because what happens for a lot of people is they, they infer, and then they infer some more, and then they infer some more, and then they start thinking, this person's an idiot. Because mm-hmm. I've said it to them as plainly, right? Mm-hmm. And this is often because they are inferential listeners. 
because they would have picked up the inferences. So they don't understand why the other person is a, they don't understand that the other person is a literal listener. They don't mm-hmm. get it. Mm-hmm. And so what happens very often is eventually they lose their temper, mm-hmm. which is what my brother and well, it's what I st- what I started to feel really irritated. But that's the before I thought I've really been cheated at my passive, yeah, passive mm-hmm. aggression. Yes, that's that's yeah. that's yeah. how it works. Passive followed by aggression. Exactly. Yeah. When we say passive aggressive, that that is what it's a it's a stage of passiveness. And, and it turns into aggression, and 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 it's often because of inferential communication, which is yeah. exactly what my what my brother and my mother did to me that day was passive aggression. Now I was doing passive without the aggression, mm-hmm. but as soon as they accused me of this, I became aggressive because I had been passive, yeah. which led to my aggression. Yeah. And so the reason I bring this up in the context of delegation is in business, I think it is absolutely key that communication is literal. Yeah. It is literal. Yeah. And it is closed loop. Yeah, it's closed loop. It's not like, uh, hey, uh, Arjuna, um, could you please uh, take care of this task over there? It's Arjuna, please take care of this task over there and report to me back when you're done. Right? Like yes. it's it's absolutely and it's by when yeah. Oh, let's talk at three. Like you and I, were, we did a little open loop thing with what time we we're going to meet today, and yeah. you did exactly what you should in business. Yeah. We agreed roughly. We'd meet at six. We'd see how it went, and then you sent me a confirming message: six o'clock, room, you know, whatever. And and all of a sudden, it's clear. Yeah. Literal communication. Yeah. And 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 um and and a closed loop. Yeah. Nobody nobody was left not knowing who's up to what. Right. Um, I recently had a meeting with one of my favorite people, uh, Roland Toko. He's an incredible entrepreneur in, in uh, Tallinn, Estonia. And he's our favorite promoter that we've worked with. And he now does a bunch of work internally for us as well. So we had to sit down and hash out terms for what we were going to be doing for 2019. He came and stayed at my house over Christmas for a little while. In, in, uh, in the Dominican yeah. Republic. Yeah. He and I have board meetings. Mm-hmm. Most of our board meetings involve kiteboarding, mm-hmm. not, not the normal kind of board meeting. And so, but every now and again, we actually do some work and we sat down and we created this whole thing. And I said, Roland, now that we've created this framework of agreement, would you please email me back your understanding of the agreement and I will email back any revisions or confirmation. Clean. Mm. And he emailed it back. I was a bit slow. It took me about two weeks to get back to him. But I wrote back and I said, this meets with my agreement with one small modification. Mm. Done. Mm -hmm. Done. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the key things in terms of delegation is that it's literal Mm. and that it's closed loop. And it's it's written. written. And written is always yes. And never more important than between friends. I noticed one thing that we do as a team is who's doing it, what exactly is the task, when does it need to be done by, and how would you define done? Like, yeah. What does it need to look like in order to be done? Yeah. yeah. If you're enjoying this podcast, you might enjoy dropping by radicalbrilliance.com. We've got an ebook for you which explains the radical brilliance cycle, the way the cycle gets blocked and the practices that best open up the cycle again. We also have five days of gifts and insights for you, delivered every day by email and video, which go much more deeply into the phases of the cycle, the ways that the cycle can become a kind of diagnosis of blocked brilliance, and a way to accurately find the right practice for each person. In addition, you'll receive a video about the single most important practice that we have determined affects brilliance, and another video about everyone's favorite topic.
brilliant sex. It's all totally free, prepared for you as our guest. Please come to RadicalBrilliance.com. Register on the homepage and you'll receive the ebook right away. Then you'll be guided through the five days of videos to take you deeper into your own radical brilliance. So, okay, now another little bit more advanced. Um, it's, it's, it's a little too granular, but we're going to do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, you can't get too granular. It's so good. All right, excellent. Because people, so, people can then go and use it. There's something that we, that we think of as, a, um, as levels of delegatory authority. Mm-hmm. So levels of delegatory authority are where you take a look at an average employee that you have on your team, and you look at the various tasks or processes that exist within their role. Mm-hmm. Decisions they might have to make, actions they have to take, and so on. And then you can, on a grid, you can chart out what their dele- what their level of delegatory authority is, or you know what their level of responsibility ultimately is in that role. So, for example, you hire a receptionist. Yeah. Not that anybody does that anymore, I think, but let's say we hire a receptionist. A receptionist? I know. Well, what is that? Yeah, exactly. It's a kind of an outdated idea, but... Oh, that's some of the person who sits behind a typewriter. Yeah, that has been completely replaced by automated answering, whatever. But yeah. we hire a receptionist, and her what is her delegatory... What is her level of delegatory authority when it comes to answering the phone? Does she need to check with anybody before she answers the phone? No. First day we trained her, she answers the phone. Her, she does not need to check with anybody. She doesn't need to report to anybody. She has full authority to answer the phone. Now, it's her first week. What's her authority to buy stationery? What's her authority to buy stationery? Well, none. So she's at a, at, initially she doesn't know enough about the company. She has no authority in that, no delegatory authority in the area of buying stationery. Right. Now she's been with us for about a month. And she's learned what we use for stationery and how quickly we go through it and what have you. So she moves to the next level. The next level is to suggest. She could now suggest that we need to save this. Now, once her suggestions, she gives her suggestions to her direct line boss or to you or whoever, once you've realized that most of her suggestions actually are quite good, she can now move to another level called recommend. Mm -hmm. I'm recommending this. It's a stronger statement. Mm -hmm. And then once she's gone to recommend, she can actually go to request. Mm-hmm. Can I do this? Mm-hmm. Can I just do this? Can I go buy this thing? Mm-hmm. And then the next level is I can take action, but I have to report that I've taken action. Mm-hmm. And then the next level is I can take action, I don't have to report. Right. So if you look at every one of the tasks that somebody has within their realm of, of, of authority, you your goal is to move them through that spectrum to the point that there's a comes a day where they can act on just about everything with, with only having to do one global report. Very nice. It's I very think, nice. I think there's a lot more probably that we could talk about delegating. I'm sure it's in your forthcoming book. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a big it's a big topic. But let's actually um, let's wrap, wrap this up a little. I want to just take a few minutes now to talk about freedom too, you know. Um, I'm glad to see that a lot of what you've talked about today I've managed to create in my life. And partly I must say it's something that I guess let's not open this up, but I'm just going to remark on that it, it was really finding remarkable people yes. who like I'm somebody, I love to talk to people, like I love, I love doing what I'm doing now. It's, it's, it, I would not think of this as work, although it kind of is part of my job. I love coaching, I love writing, but anything administrative or detail-oriented I have a hard time with. Well, I happen to have found an angel who gets her pleasure, she gets this endorphin rush by checking off boxes. Yeah. So she loves doing what I'm weak at, 
and she feels pretty insecure about doing what I do well. So that's just a perfect fit. And I actually, I mean, it was such a good fit. I suggested she be the co-founder instead of a CEO working for me. You know, so so I want I I've got a lot of almost everything you've talked about today. I've got. I'm glad to say, and I but I can see that many people have done. So it's, it's great information. But let's talk about the freedom too. So when you've got to the point that, that this and many other things are handled, so you've ended, you're, you end up with walking into your office and there's basically nothing on the schedule, which I love, by the way. I, 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 have, I make sure that at least two days a week have nothing, literally nothing in the schedule. It's open. It's like on Google Calendar, there is nothing from morning till night. I like to go for three. So what would you, what would, what would you comment on that? Freedom to what with those, with those days that where you now have nothing to do? To do what you want. Yeah. I, you know, pe- people want to know what their purpose in life is, and I, it drives me crazy. You know, yeah. it's like, I, I, there's all these workshops I'm going to help find your purpose in life. Like, I'm all for identifying missions that you're interested in. I'm all for that, but yeah. I, I used to do this funny gag in some of my workshops where I would say, um, how many of you know what your purpose in life is? Mm. You'd always have, you know, about 10 or 12% of the audience would say, I know, I know what it is. Mm-hmm. But then you'd have this other group. How many of you have no idea what your purpose in life is? And they have to raise their hand and they have this concerned look on their yeah, face. Yeah. And very worried that they don't know their purpose in life. Yeah. And then I'd say, well, ever since I was a little boy, I've been able to look into people's souls and have a real sense just by asking one or two questions what their purpose in life is. Let me guess. Sorry. And I, and I would say to them, would anybody here like me to, to do this? Or, yeah. You know, I can do it for you now. And there's always a volunteer. And I go, okay, come on. I come over. Yeah. And I, I put one hand on their shoulder and I uh-huh. and I breathe deeply uh-huh. and I look them in the eyes and I, I, I say, I've got it. Yeah. It's taking shape. Your purpose, your unique and all-encompassing purpose to what yeah. you should be devoting your time to is uh, having fun. Okay. You know what I thought? That's beautiful. You know what I thought you were going to say? I thought you were going to say, Eric, let me tune in. I've got it. Your purpose in life is to be Eric Edmeads. Sure. I, 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 I just, for me, it's like you came here to have fun. All right. You came here, and, and whatever fun is, yeah. enjoyment. You came here yeah. to reduce your personal suffering and increase your personal pleasure, and that's what we came here to do. So now, when you give somebody this freedom to do whatever they want, what's beautiful about that is, is that I'll tell you, so many of the world's problems right now stem from scarcity. They, they stem, they stem from survival thinking mm-hmm. and and greed and and all this kind of stuff. And what's really crazy is once somebody has the time and focus to handle their spiritual self and their material self and their health self and all that stuff. What happens is is that they naturally become more societally conscious. Mm-hmm. And not everybody, but uh, but enough. And so that's why I made the comment earlier in the interview. One of my goals is to help people become bored entrepreneurs. Mm. What happened in my case? I became bored with my business in the fifth and sixth year. I became mm. I became so bored with it. I became concerned mm. because I didn't like. I was like, "Holy crap! I don't even have an interest in this anymore." Mm. And I went. I had a business mentor, and I went to my business mentor, and I said, "Listen, I'm worried." And he goes, what's wrong? And I go, I never liked barcode scanning equipment anyway. I only started this business because I had to pay the rent. I wasn't passionate about it. I didn't like the, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the, the logistics management stuff because developing software was fun and stuff, but I didn't really have a passion for it. And he goes, well, when was the last time you got goosebumps in your business? And I go, oh, it was last week. And he goes, well, what happened? And I go, Dave, 
Dave came up to me and, you know, about two weeks earlier, he'd asked me for a letter of recommendation so he could get a mortgage. And, and last week he got his mortgage. Mm-hmm. And before he came to work for me, he'd been unemployed for seven years. Mm-hmm. And now he's got a mortgage, you know, and I just got goosebumps. And he goes, that's really powerful. He goes, when was the last time you got goosebumps before that? And I said, well, because like one of our, our, our employees, also the, the married couple, had they'd both been long-term unemployed on the dole, as they say in, mm-hmm. in that country, um, for 10 years each. And uh, and they bought a car, mm-hmm. and they were able to take custody of their child, and mm-hmm. I was able to help them with that stuff. Mm-hmm. And and he goes, oh, oh, so your business isn't a barcode scanning business. Your business is improving pe- the quality of people's lives business, and you happen to sell barcode scanning equipment to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And I was like, great, holy cow! And he goes, give me one more. Mm-hmm. And I said, I've got, I know what it is. And he goes, what is it? And he goes. I said, every single time I hire somebody, mm-hmm. every single time I create a job, I get this jolt. And he goes, mm-hmm. your business is about creating employment, mm-hmm. great, high-quality employment for high-quality of life. And all of a sudden, I went back to, the, I enjoyed my business again. Mm-hmm. And so that was how I answered the board the first time. Then I got bored again, but different, not disinterested. Now I just got, I didn't have anything to do. And all of, I, and I'm, I'm walking into the office and I'm like playing Minesweeper. You remember Minesweeper? Like I, I, it was a stupid game that was built into the early versions of Windows. And it was like I would sit there and play Minesweeper. Got bored. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then somebody told me about the Princess Trust. Mm-hmm. And so I contacted the Princess Trust. Are you familiar? No. The Princess Trust is uh, it's um, it's a trust in the name of the Prince of Wales, and it has business mentorship. Oh yes, yes. Okay, I didn't hear what you loan. said. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I became a mentor. Yeah. So that's what I believe that when we can help people achieve, let's call them radically brilliant businesses, Sounds when we good. can get them there mm-hmm. to the point that their business doesn't require them anymore. They're, think about who entrepreneurs are. They're fundamentally optimistic people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, eighty percent of businesses are dead within five years. This is not a. That's not a, a game deal. for pessimists, right, right? Right, right? So you have to be fundamentally optimistic and generally creative in some way. There are some that are dynamically creative and others that are, are, are system, systemically creative, but they're, they're optimistic, creative people. If we can get them bored with their business, they will take that optimism, they'll take that creativity, and they will go solve real trouble. Yeah. They'll go solve real problems. Right. I did it. I started with mentoring, and then the next thing right. you know, I was working on conservation projects and right. so on. Yeah, and you, now you're changing the diet of people all over the world. I wanted, I'd like to get your comment because I've got, I, when, when I asked you about the freedom too, I've got a kind of experience I'd like to share with you and see what you think. Is, that, is it good? Mm-hmm. So I, I told you I have, I have at least two days a week that are absolutely unscheduled and I aim for three. So I've already got Sunday and Saturday, which are kind of weekend, but I also aim for Friday as well. So this is what I've noticed and I'd like to get your comment is there are things that have to be done in the week that involve a very clear sense of the exertion of willpower and doing, and they're often repetitive things. Like every week I have to publish a blog, I have to put Facebook Live, there's a lot of things that I've committed to doing. I have to talk to my clients, I have to review client documents. There's a lot of things that I have to do because I said I would do them. And you can't possibly operate in this world without being accountable for a whole lot of things you said you'd do. So I try and fit all those things in Monday, to th- Monday through Thursday, and like, there's a lot of them. I usually get through 200 boxes I check every week, right? Those other three days, I'm not checking any boxes, but I'm also not just, you know, doing recreational activities. So for me, there's another kind of activity that happens which is, feels more, if you'll excuse the kind of woo-woo language, it feels more like it's coming through me than from me. Mm-hmm. It's more like a kind of downloading, and it could be like I'm actually working on a novel now about fatherhood, but that novel, I try to fit that into my scheduled days. It doesn't work. I have to have an open day 
where where I don't have any agenda, so things can enter. And actually, that's where books come from. It's where new ideas come from. It's where all innovation comes from in those three days. So that that for me, that's the answer of the freedom too. You know, it's freedom to be available for brilliance to emerge. It's it's like. You could say that's where I have my Einstein's general theory of relativity moments, where I can receive something fresh. So, give me your reflection on that. Well, I, I, I very much agree. I, you know, there's the old, uh, there's that old proverb about the two guys competing for the woodcutting job. Mm. You know, and, and you know, he's like the one guy keeps taking breaks and the other guy doesn't, and the guy who keeps taking breaks wins the woodcutting competition and, and gets the job. And the other guy's like, "How did you beat me? You kept taking breaks," and he goes. I wasn't taking breaks. I was sharpening my saw. All right. <laughs> and and so and but the, you know people often tell that story, but they leave one little detail out, and that is that you cannot sharpen a saw while you're using it, and your brain is your saw. Yeah. If you're the entrepreneur. Yeah. So I would put to you that I, I I would when you say you have two days completely clear, I would almost go another level, and I would be aiming for the two days out of five completely clear, because those other two days are family, recreation, and mm-hmm. what have you, mm-hmm. because. I think that real innovation, it's like it, it, when you're actively in the doing, there's not a lot of innovation is happening, unless you're doing like on stage, you know, and it's odd how that can happen. But but if you're in paperworking and doing, it, then it, that's not where innovation is. And once you go into writing mode, you're innovating, but you're innovating within a very finely focused scope of innovation. Mm-hmm. When you are um, walking in the mere woods, mm-hmm. that's different. When you go to Ray's Park, or when you when you go for a long drive through the countryside, or when you have dinner with your wife, or in my case, it, I, some of my greatest innovations happen in the 30 minutes after I bath my little girl. Mm-hmm. I bath her every night when I'm at home. The two of us get in the bath, and we draw. We have these like bath crayons that you can draw in the bath, and then they wash off with the water, and we draw everything, and we mm-hmm. do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then Elise comes and takes her out of the bath and tucks her in the bed, and then I just kind of meditate in the bliss of that. Mm-hmm. That's innovation. Yes. So I, I think that... You know, one exercise, by the way, I think some people will find what you've said maybe intimidating, the idea of like not scheduling anything on Fridays. Mm-hmm. So one of the challenges that we do, and we're about to do an annual, we're going to do this on Instagram, but it's a neat thing where it's you, Friday one, you absolutely don't schedule anything after four o'clock. Mm-hmm. Next Friday, nothing after three o'clock. Mm-hmm. Next Friday, nothing nice. after, after eight weeks, you've got Friday free. Yeah. But then you keep going after Thursday. <laughs> now, remember, you and I both know this. How productive are you in the three days before you come to TLC or before you go on a vacation? Very productive. Super productive, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super productive. Yeah. Well, same thing happens when you start cutting Friday and Thursday out of your work week. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You suddenly, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, become more productive. productive. Now, mm-hmm. you can now put your writing and all that kind of stuff on that Thursday, Friday time. And then, to me, that the, the weekend time, yeah. And I'll still write on the weekends, but only as an act of truly inspired action. Whereas on Friday, I'll sit down and write. But on Saturday, it's like, I, if I don't feel like it, I don't do it. Mm-hmm. I let my brain do what it wants to do on Saturday. And I'm telling you, Saturdays are where magic happens for me. Great. Yeah. Beautiful, man. Uh, we could, as always, we could keep going forever. But we've got a dinner date with, yes. with another brother. So thank you so much once You're again. You're very welcome. Yeah, thank I you. Just, I just, you know, I love your mind, man. Yeah, oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure. I love our conversations. Great. Thanks a lot. Hey, I hope you found that conversation with Eric helpful, particularly if you are someone who wants to make a positive difference to the world and create something incredible and you need a structure to do it. I'd like to invite you to reflect upon what we heard today 
and maybe to take five or ten minutes to uh, to do a little writing, and perhaps first to make a list of the ways in which your current business structure is actually forcing you into doing things you don't like and you don't enjoy, which will be the kind of downer side of it. And then you could think about how the triumphs, how the current business structure you have is allowing you to do things you do enjoy that give you freedom to give your deepest gift. And then perhaps on a third page of your journal, you could write down some ways that you could now shift the nature of the structure you've created based upon Eric's suggestions today to give yourself more business freedom. It's always a great idea at the end of these podcasts to reflect upon what you've heard and how you can make it practical for you. See you next time.